we have an upcoming holiday, an upcoming festival, Shavuos. Shavuos is the Zman Matan Torah Seinu, the time of the giving of our Torah. And we know, and it's well documented, that Torah and the study of Torah is one of the most important things in Jewish life, Jewish living. Like we're told, Talmud Torah and Kulam, Torah studies equal to all of the other mitzvahs combined. And we know that the Jewish education system is oriented around teaching kids Torah. And all the other secular knowledge is all put in as an afterthought in the afternoon. Um, and that's not just in modern times. In, in historical times, like that is the way it always was. That it was all about the primacy of Torah study above all. And the question I want to investigate tonight, and maybe even in ensuing weeks, is what about, like, why is there such an obsession with Torah study and what kind of what's in it for us? You know, we, we, we today, you know, as adults, we want to study Torah and we know it's valuable. But why specifically is it valuable and what can we learn from the sources and what can we learn, what can we think, like how do we, how can we think about this in a different way and make it even more meaningful? So what I want to talk about tonight is some of the sources vis-a-vis the idea, the notion of coming close, becoming close to Hashem. That, that's a term, that's a, a phrase you hear a lot. We want to get close to the Almighty. Um, and of course it's problematic because if we had to define what exactly God means, we'd have a hard time to do it. In Jewish, in Halacha, there's the name of God that describes God's essence. We're not allowed to even say. We're not allowed to think about. So we're supposed to try to get close to God when we have a hard time defining even what God is. We can't even say the name. So what does it even mean, this idea we're going to get close to Hashem, get close to our Creator, get close to God, and we're going to do that through Torah, ostensibly, but we don't even know what God is. And we read in the Shema twice a day, that we have to love God. There's a mitzvah to love God. And again, we're told we have to love something that we cannot wrap our heads around. We don't even understand what that even means. To love, we have to love it. What does it mean to love God? So the Ram tells us what the result looks like. It says someone who loves God, love, loves God is consumed with love like a man who is in love with a woman. They think about it all the time. They tell everyone about it. That's what it means to love Hashem. It means to love Hashem the way you would love when someone's totally, totally lovesick. He has to be lovesick, says the Rambam. That's what it means to love Hashem. So we're supposed to love something we can't even define what exactly it is? It's a really, it's a really strange thing. And the Ramah says, when someone loves Hashem, they'll right away tell everyone they know about them. Because it's so amazing, you have to tell everyone about them. To us, it doesn't seem to really make a lot of sense. And how do you do that? How do you, how do you obtain that? So we're trying to develop this relationship with Hashem, yet we can't understand what Hashem is, and this relationship has to result, it's a mitzvah in the Torah, that has to result to loving Hashem. Now, we know the Chinuch tells us, and it's brought to the Mishnah Brua, that there's six constant mitzvahs. And there's six mitzvahs that, it's not like Pesach, you have Pesach and you eat matzah on Pesach, but now it's not Pesach, we don't eat matzah. It's kind of an isolated mitzvah. Most mitzvahs are isolated. There's time, there's a circumstance, and then you do the mitzvah and then you're done the mitzvah. 
The Chinuch tells us that there's six constant mitzvahs that at all times you have to be doing the mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah that you do, it's a mitzvah that you are. And to achieve that, you ha- it has to become such a nature. Because even when you're not consciously thinking about these mitzvahs, you have to still be doing it. So it means when, when you're eating breakfast, you have to do the mitzvah. It's, not, it's a time to do the mitzvahs all the time. It's constant. One of those is to love Hashem. So not only is it hard for us to think about having a relationship with Hashem, it's hard for us to define what Hashem is. It's hard for us to think about loving God once. If it was one episode of loving God, now we're told to love God all the time. Uninterrupted love. And that's a reasonable request. And the question is, how do you achieve that? And there's a magnificent Sifri that the Rambam brings. The Sifri says, You have to love Hashem your God with both your hearts, with all your soul, with all your resources. I don't know how to love God. The question that we would ask ourselves, if I say, well, how do you do this? Any you there? However, when it says the following verse, when it says that you should have the words of Torah on your heart, that's answering the question. That's what this free says. First verse of the Shema, well, really the second verse of the Shema says, love God. And the following verse says to study Torah. What it's really doing it is linking the two. Study Torah, and you love God. You study Torah, you have a relationship with your Creator. That's what the Safri says. And I think that you know this does open up the door for really another discussion. Um, we talk about Olam Abba a lot. And you, know, you describe Olam Abba, it doesn't sound so appealing. Talmud tells us. In Olam Abba, there's no eating, there's no drinking, there's no standing, no sleeping. It's just tzaddikim sitting with crowns, taking pleasure of God. To us, that sounds kind of boring. Sounds also mysterious. Well, what does that even mean? Like, this is what we're, this is the objective of everything. This is the objective of, of creation is this. And to us, it sounds kind of meh. You're, you're, you're a tzaddikim sitting and taking the pleasure of God. It sounds, doesn't sound immediately, it's not immediately apparent how this is pleasuresome. Now, the Ramam tells us someone who does, who loves God, actually obtains that same pleasure. The pleasure of Olam Abba is, is, is achieved via loving Hashem, and it's done through Torah. So essentially, if, if you just kind of map this out, you'll see that studying Torah is a portal to love God, which is having the pleasure of Hashem. However, how is this done? So the, the idea here, I want to get the kernel of the idea out over here. The idea is like this. Indeed, we cannot possibly fathom what Hashem is. However, the Almighty created a world. And the mighty gave us his Torah. What this is essentially is almost a surrogate for Hashem. Because the Almighty's Torah, who Chadram famously tells us, the mighty and his Torah is one. But the Torah is crafted in a way that we can understand. We can't understand God Himself, 
but the thing that's one with well, that's the same essential thing as Hashem, which is Torah, that we can't understand. So the Almighty crafted an understandable version of himself called Torah and gave it to us. Thus, obviously, it, it makes sense that if you understand Torah, you understand Hashem. And if you understand Hashem, maybe that's very pleasurable and that's what Allah buys. And, and by the way, science is the same thing. The Ramah says, it says, the Almighty created uh, uh, Torah, and which is his, his knowledge, and pu'ulosav and God's handiwork. What's what's God's handiwork? It's everything that God created, which is science. We call it science. Everything that is nature, everything that Hashem made, that too is a parallel because that is Hashem. What Hashem made, and His handiwork is it has His stamp on it. And you understand that, and you plumb to the depths of that, and that's understandable you could have an inkling of what Hashem himself is. There's an interesting statement in Perkei When someone's studying Torah, and he interrupts the Torah study, and he says, Come on, Noah, Elon, Zeh, how beautiful is this tree? Come on, Noah, near Zeh, how beautiful is this field? Behold, he's liable with his life. So the big question is, someone's studying Torah, they're doing the greatest mitzvah, and they stop. And they have useless, nonsensical banter. They talk about the trees and the, the, and the fields. What's the what what's the, what's the great insight of the Mishnah that this person is liable to life? Of course, they're stopping Torah and engaging other themes. What the Mishnah is actually telling us is that this person is trying to understand Hashem, and he's studying Torah, and Torah is the portal to loving God and understanding God, and he's doing that, and then he stops and says, "I want to look at nature. I want to look at this tree. How beautiful it is! Not in isolation, but to understand God." But what this person is doing is he's taking the highest level of trying to understand God's mind, so to speak, God's the, the intellectual, cerebral way we can understand Hashem, and he's doing a lower level of that. He's doing looking at, at God's handiwork, which is not as good of a way to try to understand God. Even so, something like that is Mishai Benafshel. But but even that's that's a mitzvah. There's actually a mitzvah to probe into God's handiwork to try to understand God as Ahavas Hashem's loving God, says the Rambam. But, and here's the critical point, says the Rambam, it's not just studying Torah. We think, well, I read Shnai Mikra, rapid fire your way through the Parsha, is that studying Torah in the way that you understand God? You know, a lot of people have a criticism of the way they learn Torah, they study Torah in yeshivas. You go to yeshiva, and you say, oh, they'll teach me Torah. Well, I'll learn how to how to pattern all the halachos. I'll know when to say yalavayava. What happens if you forget? I'll, I'll, I'll know how to kosher kitchen. I'll know how to keep the laws of Shabbos. And you actually get the yeshiva. You're all excited to learn how to be, live as a Jew, and you don't find anything about that. You're talking about cows goring each other. You're talking about the uh, proxies for divorce documents. You're talking about neighbors that have a wall collapse between them. And you're spending months and months talking about Leverite marriages when a brother dies and his sister is married to uh, the second brother and the third brother and there's the multiple women. And it, this is what we're studying? It's a good criticism. 
Why are we studying that? We should study Shulchan Aruch. This is Shulchan Aruch. We should learn the laws of how to live as a Jew. Why are we spending so much time thinking, talking about things that are not relevant at all to our life? That's a good criticism. When you read this Rambam, it makes a whole sense. It makes a lot of sense. Rambam tells you that there's a certain mode, a certain kind of Torah study, that only through this kind of Torah study can you develop that relationship, can you have the love of God. And he says there's four steps. Yachshov, to think. Most Americans, I would argue, don't know how to think. There's one way of thinking that they can do, which is passive thinking, but not active thinking. So the first step is to think about Torah. And then the Ram says, Yisbonin. Yisbonin means to contemplate or to ruminate over something, which means to think about it, not in an active way, but to think about it so intently that it's ricocheting off your skull at all times. You're thinking about it in the morning and afternoon while you're eating breakfast, while you're showering, you have dreams about it. It's always there and it's present with you. And it can be present with you for months. You're thinking about it, not necessarily at all times that it's active, but it's always kind of percolating in your consciousness. That's via Zbonin. And then he says, Ad, Shiasigayu, until you have an insight. Until you have what's called a chiddush. Until you have a new idea. You hit pay dirt. You have your aha, eureka moment. And that, says the Rambam, is going to immediately result in the greatest level of pleasure humanly possible. That is what it means to love God. Because when you hit that pay dirt, you realize how broad and comprehensive and complex and profound the Torah is. Like we spoke about last week, the Torah is compared to the water. The more you walk in, the deeper you realize it is. When that clicks, you realize how much bigger it is than what you previously anticipated and how perfect it is. That's when you have an insight of the scope of God. When you see his hand, his Torah, and you click to it. And that is going to immediately hit you like a ton of bricks. You have an immense surge of, of, of pleasure that's not replicable by any other physical means. It's essentially a spark of your soul that you're able to experience internally. It's not something that you have like an ice cream that you get, which is great while you have it, but then the ice cream is gone, the pleasure is gone. It's a pleasure that kind of is with you. That's one of the reasons why we study Torah. Because the Torah is God's laying out before us his mind. And we have an opportunity to probe it. And yes, we could do it on a superficial level, and that's great. But that's why there's such an emphasis in, in, in the Jewish world about learning what's called learning bi'iyun, learning with intensity, with intense scrutiny, kind of learning as deep as possible. What does the Mishnah tell us? Ten people sitting and studying Torah. The Shekhinah is amongst them. You know why? Because studying the Almighty's Torah. Talmud says is that when the temple was extant, what do you have? You had a physical manifestation of God in our world. You bring sacrifices, and it's something physical, but it really was spiritual as well. However, from the time the temple was destroyed, the Almighty doesn't is the, isn't there in the temple. The temple's gone. Ain lo the Almighty does not have any place in this world, only the four cubits of halacha, of Torah study. That means you want to get close to God 
Where are you going to find him? You go to the temple, he's not there. You'll find the uh, Arabs and the activists, but not God. I don't know who made up the song, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere, but I wish they had consulted some of the sources, because I cannot find a source that says that. What the Talmud does say is that Akash Baruch Mekomo Shal Olam, Ve'ena Olam Mekomo. The world is not God's place, God is the world's place. What does that mean? It sounds like a tongue twister, right? What it means is, is that we think of a place, right? So we have a room. We're in a room here. We are smaller than the room, and thus we are inside the room. The room is our place. When someone says we're in the world as God, they're making an assertion in that statement. They're saying the world is bigger than God. Not necessarily physically bigger, because God's not physical, but the idea is that God fits in something bigger, which is the world. But says the Talmud, no, 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 no. The, the world is not Macom, is not the Macom, the place of God, because God is bigger than the world. You won't ask where in us is the room. We're inside the room. The room is not inside of us, right? Because the room's bigger. So to say that Shem is here, Shem is there, Shem is truly everywhere, I don't know where that comes from. But we're told is that this world is devoid of God. Maybe you could find it in, in science and in Torah. But indeed, it's devoid of God. It's a God, what we would call in Kabbalah, God withdrew himself. It's Tzimtzum. God says, okay, I'm going to remove myself and let you guys live on your own. That's what free will is, right? Free will is man has uh, the keys to the car, right? Man's in charge. Man has the reins in his hand, not God. By definition, if you say that free will exists, you say that there is a realm of the world that's unrestricted. That God is, that does not govern. God allows people to do what they want. So to say that Shem is everywhere, I don't know where that comes from. But here we're told, in this world, where does God exist? Well, how can we invoke God? How do we connect to God? Through studying Torah. And that's, that's sourced. The Talmud says something yet further. We're told from the book of Jeremiah, the verse says there, it's bemoaning the degradation of the Jewish nation. It says God, they abandoned God and they didn't observe the Torah. So it's two separate things. They left God and left the Torah. Which implies that if they just left God, it wouldn't be so bad. So the, what, what essentially is saying, the Talmud uh, spells this out, Halavai, if only the Jewish people abandoned God, but didn't abandon Torah. Because the light, the illumination of Torah would bring them back to God. There is some power inherent in Torah that even if someone is distant from God, there's just this attraction, this this, uh, uh, magnetic attraction. Someone connects to Torah, they connect to God. So they abandon God, but they don't abandon Torah? The Torah itself will bring them back. And then there's another, there's another thing here. Uh, we say on Pesach, the Dayenus, if you read the Dayenus, it's all at the end of the Haggadah. So sometimes it gets a little bit glossed over. But some of them are really problematic. Like, for example, Ilu Kara If only God had split the, the water for us. The low heavy He didn't make us walk through it in the dry in the dry land. It would be enough. 
wait a minute, isn't the whole purpose of a split in the water so we could evade our enemies? What's the big deal? What did God do to make us walk through it? Anyone to walk through it? Once, once it's split, anyone to walk through it, right? Uh, that's one. That's one problem. But one of them is, is a bit, very problematic. Ilu kirvanu har Sinai. If only God had brought us close to Har Sinai, Torah, but didn't give us the Torah, then you know it'll be enough for us. If only we got to the restaurant and didn't get food, we'd be happy. Only we got to Sinai and get the Torah. Isn't the whole purpose to go to Sinai to get the Torah? <laughs> it's like, if we only got there, we didn't do anything there. Isn't the whole purpose of Sinai to get the Torah? So there was a famous um, insight told over by Rabbi Yeruchim Levavitz. Yeruchim Levavitz was the de facto head of the Mir Yeshiva in, Euro- in Europe died in 1936. And he said like this, he says, you have a, um, you have a hot tea, right? You want to keep it hot, you put it in a thermos. And if it's hot piping in the morning, it'll still be hot maybe in the afternoon. It'll still be probably be hot in the afternoon, but in a week and a half probably, it won't maybe be a little lukewarm, but, but it's not going to be hot anymore after a week. Suppose I invented a thermos that keeps it's so piping hot that a thousand years later you open up the thermos and it's still piping hot. It's still boiling. That'd be the best thermos ever invented, right? The greatest kitchen starter ever. Says Rabbi that's Torah. The Jewish people, when they left Egypt, they had a very close relationship with God. He pulled them out of the, uh, like the verse says in, in Deuteronomy, it says he took a nation from amongst the nation. All the Jews felt like they were selected from amongst the Egyptians, that all the miracles, they and it reached this peak, this crescendo at the splitting of the sea, and they spontaneously erupt in song. Everyone's, it, this, the closest the Jewish people have ever been to God. They got to Sinai, and they were just flying high. They had this intense love with, remember they raised out eating the manna? Eating manna, God's delivering them the spiritual food every morning, parachuting it down. It's unbelievable. What closeness to God? The closeness itself is epitomized at Sinai. They, God brought us close to Sinai. God was close to us. What's the function of Torah? Torah is the thermos that keeps that fire, that spark alive. It is what maintains the relationship that we have with God. Now, what happened 40 days after the Sinai experience? The eagle, right? The golden calf. Wait a minute. Weren't they close to God? They were close to God, right? So how do they suddenly sin with the golden calf? The answer is, is that even if you have the hottest pot in the world, if you let it go without keeping it warm, it'll get cold. Jewish people, yeah, they were close to God, but that was amazing, that was inspiring. But did that last? No, it dissipated. And it dissipated to such a degree that they were even to, able to commit such a, a horrific sin only 40 days later. You know why? How did such a travesty happen? Because they didn't have Torah. Moshe was still up in the heavens and they were alone. They didn't have any Torah. 
Had they had Torah, they would have had the ability to maintain and perpetuate that close relationship with God. Uh, there's a lot of books written about how to uh, court, how to woo a potential spouse. And hopefully, everyone gets happily married, and they're, they're married to a great spouse, and they're in love, and things are wonderful. But what about perpetuating and maintaining and sustaining that love? What about making sure that that love does not turn into hate or that it doesn't get eliminated? Those books are harder to write. And the reality is, is that if someone doesn't quote-unquote work on their marriage just to make sure that the love that they had is maintained, you know what? They're probably going to lose it. And that's very unfortunate. And today we live in a world where Half the amount of marriages and then divorce. So what the exact number is is a, is a question. But what's, where, where is that from? That's from lack of maintenance. Not necessarily. Some of them marry the wrong one, sure. And that uh, is probably due to the, how the methods of spousal selection that they used. But even those that married good people, well, what happened? What changed? The answer is it wasn't maintained. We created a relationship with God, but what, how do we maintain it with Torah? Thus, we could say that the that studying Torah really covers every aspect of the relationship that we have with God. We talk about loving God. Loving God is establishing that relationship. Once we establish a relationship, it's amazing. We're at Sinai. Okay, how do you perpetuate it? You have to perpetuate with Torah. So Torah creates a relationship and ensures that it's perpetuated. What if you lose it? God forbid. How do you recapture it? Well, if only Jewish people left God and didn't leave Torah, because the Torah will bring him back to God. Even if someone loses it, bring him back to God. The Torah will bring him back to God. Well, what about someone in modern times? We don't have manna. We don't have Sinai. We don't have splitting of the sea. We don't have those things. You know, we do have this one place in the world where someone can reconnect to God, and that is the four cubits of Torah. Thus, when we talk about getting close to God, yes, it can be done with mitzvahs. And yes, it can be done with faith. Of course. But the best way to do it is with Torah. It's the best way to do it. And thus, we have to appreciate that. And even kinds of Torah that don't seem to, we don't see how those dots necessarily connect. It doesn't matter. It's part of the, if it's part of God's Torah, it's an opportunity that we have to connect them in a very deep, visceral level. I think that's uh, you know, a good thought to take with us when we have the upcoming festival of Shavuos. You know, it's the Mamata Torah saying, what is Torah? It's the time of the giving of our Torah. Well, what, what, what has that done for me? That's a good question. And the answer is, well, one of the answers is that the Torah enables man to have, to f- fulfill the mitzvah of loving God, a mitzvah that's Required of us at all times. How, and and by the way, a mitzvah that could give us a very good life. You could be very happy because the more you love God, the happier you are. The Ram says that you have the most pleasure, and it's a way to cope with pain, with suffering. When you realize that God exists, the more, the deeper the relationship man has with God, the more they see the world in its correct perspective. They're aware that sometimes. God smacks you. But you know it's God who smacks you. Well, that's more bearable. 
So it really helps in, in, in a whole holistic way someone to live their life when they have God in their life. And how do you do that? How do you achieve it? How do you maintain it? How do you perpetuate it? How do you lose it? All that is best done with Torah. I think um, it's a good perspective to take us with us, take with us for this holiday. I made a list um, in my notes of more than 30 different reasons. This is all sourced. I'm not quoting my own stuff. Just sourced from the Talmud, from Jewish sources of what are the benefits of Torah study. Um, we talked about getting close to Hashem as one arena of it. Uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks we're going to talk different arenas of it. Like the Talmud says, if people didn't study Torah, the world would self-combust. What does that mean? Oh, that's what it says in the Talmud. The world would just we're like saving the world. You talk about the soldiers in Israel. How come the guys who are studying Torah are not going to work? Not, not going to army? That's a legitimate question. But if you read what the Torah says about how Torah prepare, saves the world, yeah, it's like they're the ones who are actually maintaining the peace and addressing the core problem and not just dealing with the symptoms of the problem. So we're going to continue doing that over the next couple of weeks and hopefully make our holiday even more meaningful. And I thank you all.